Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a brand new episode of Point Counterpoint, or Punto Contra Punto. I'm your host, Chris Wright. And I am back, baby, in the KUST University of St. Thomas campus radio. I'm back, folks, and it has been a while. A lot has happened since the last KUST broadcast, which was remote. This is in the studio. Um, of course, I've done episodes since then, and especially I reckon... Hello? Hello? Um... Yeah. Okay, I think that's good. Yeah, so especially check out uh, my last episode, which was an interview with Zach Leary. And that was super interesting. You got to watch that, man. It was something. <laughs> uh, so this is just, I'm going to start out with a little uh, feedback. Um, on that episode, which was, I learned a lot from that, and I hope that you all learned a lot from that as well, if you watched it, and uh, if you haven't watched it, uh, definitely go pause this and listen to it, and then go back and listen to it, and then you can resume this episode, um, if you have, then uh, you know what I'm talking about, <coughs> that was my favorite interview, by the way, um, I've done a few. I've done a few interviews of of various uh, individuals, I, and he can. He's now part of my repertoire. I've done Harry Gearmand from the Bloodstained Men organization. I've done Mark Whitney. That was a good interview right there. I've done Lenid Lewis, who was also a sponsor for a while. Um. So Mark Whitney, the former presidential candidate, um, Lenid Lewis, you know, meditation and organizational psychology, improving your life. Um, I did Scott Christensen on artificial intelligence. And now this, Zach Leary. Um, now a lot of people that, what a lot of people know about Timothy Leary is that he was he was known for uh, you know his major advocacy for psychedelic substances especially uh, things like LSD mushrooms um, in fact I'll I'll read I'll read to you a little bit about about him sorry I was just walking kind of fast so I'm a little, uh, whatever. Um, but you know, he was famous for uh, the Concord Prison Experiment, which greatly reduced recidivism rates of prisoners uh, when they gave LSD to them. He did the Marshall Hill Chapel Experiment, also known as the Good Friday Experiment, which produced... Uh, 
spiritual experiences in people and that were participating and I believe I believe it was seminary students that they did this to else and so they gave some people a placebo and others they did not um, they gave the actual thing they both groups did report something but the ones with the placebo their feelings were uh, more fleeting and they didn't have nearly as uh, a profound of an experiment experience and the main thing that people should really know about these psychedelic substances is that it's easy to look at like some of the recreational users that just do it because you know they enjoy it you know they have fun they go in there they they uh maybe they see something profound and you know they want to see that again and you go well and then you look at some example of a bad trip that someone has and that's always a risk and you immediately go okay ban it but really that's just th that's throwing the baby out with the bathwater, in my experience uh in my well, I, I haven't i haven't done it at all but uh um in my opinion i should say um But you see, when you when you take when you take something as complex as this sub subject, you have to take it into account all of the sides. Okay, so obviously many people for many years the dominant narrative has been that these are dangerous substances. They're they're Schedule One drugs, and we need to we need to make them illegal and crack down on them. And thankfully, that idea is changing uh, in many locations. Uh, I'm not talking about marijuana. I'm not talking about that, um, which which is already being legalized in a number of states and decriminalized and even more, especially at a medical level. But I mean, shrooms are starting to get um, decriminalized. Uh, people are starting to do some research on it, which is good. So you know, they've been doing ex pop they've been having some promising results in experiment experience experiments on microdosing rats with DMT and they've been able to reduce the effects of anxiety they've used MDMA to help with PTSD and just a little rundown uh, there are four types of of hallucinogens hallucinogen is a blanket subject is blanket term and so one of the types is psychedelic and that's stuff like uh, DMT, ayahuasca, which has DMT in it, uh, psilocybin, mush mushrooms, psilocybin and mushrooms, uh, mescaline can be found in things like peyote and San Pedro. Um, the, the next type is the atypicals. Actually, no, maybe, I, maybe I should go to the next is... Uh, Inactogens, and that's MDMA, and then the the atypicals, which is uh, tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, and then uh, dissociatives, ketamine, nitrous oxide, and so um, nitrous oxide is what the founder of American psychology was famous for using. Uh, and he apparently 
used it to help help himself to understand various complex writings like those of, of Engel, um, who was an old philosopher before William James's time. Um, and so, yeah, they help people learn insights about themselves and um, from what from our what I've heard part uh, from about things like uh, DMT they're very humbling experiences they help you to really uh, see your place in the whole universe the interconnectedness of everything and some people even claim that they, they have that when they do it in like a group everyone can see like these same creatures they're conversing with which is pretty interesting to say the least at least worthy of discussion but yeah I'll tell you about Zach Leary's father Timothy uh, his name is Timothy Francis Leary born in 1920 died in 1996 American psychologist and writer known for a strong advocacy of psychedelic drugs he was um, evaluations were polarized, ranging from bold oracle to public publicity hound. Uh, he was a, quote, a hero of American consciousness, according to Allen Ginsberg, who was another similar guy. And Tom Robbins called him a brave neuronaut. But to Louis Minard, it, it was a put-on. The only things Leary was serious about were pleasure and renown. Leary was not a seeker of truth, according to Minard. He liked women. He liked to have the he liked being the center of attention and he liked to get high as a clinical psychologist at Harvard University Leary worked on the Harvard psilocybin project from 1968 to 1962 uh, LSD and were still legal in the United States at the time resulting in the Con Concord prison experiment and the Marsh Chapel experiment the scientific legitimacy and ethics of his research were questioned by other Harvard faculty because he took psychedelics along with his research subjects so I'll and I'm not one that's going to defend him in every single case. Okay, so that's generally not something that you do, but, you know, um, still interesting results. Um, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, so along with research sub subjects and pressured students to join in, um, the thing with that is he didn't, f he, he didn't force anybody to do it, but he did pressure some people to join the experiment. Uh, Leary and his colleague Richard Elpert, who later became known as Ram Das, were fired from Harvard University in May 1963. Most people first heard of psychedelics after the Harvard scandal. Leary believed that LSD showed potential for th therapeutic use in psychiatry. He used LSD himself and developed a philosophy of mind expansion and personal truth through LSD. After leaving Harvard, he continued to public publicly promote the use of psychedelic drugs and became a well-known figure of the counterculture of the 1960s. He popularized catchphrases that promoted his philosophy, such as, you may recognize this, turn on, tune in, drop out, and set and setting, and think of yourself and question authority. He also wrote and spoke frequently about transhumanist concepts of space migration, intelligent increase, and life extension. Leary developed the eight-circuit model of consciousness in his book Exopsychology in 1977 and gave lectures occasionally billing himself as a performing philosopher. Uh, 
During the 1960s and 1970s, he was arrested often enough to see inside of 36 prisons worldwide. President Richard Nixon once described Leary as the most dangerous man in America. Did he go too far sometimes? Sure. Um, I think that's not an unreasonable thing to say. But I think just because he went too far in some cases doesn't mean that these substances don't have value to anyone. The fact that we're taking these substances and we immediately put a ban on them and not allow anybody that may find them beneficial for whatever mental affliction may be plaguing them is really pretty despicable. Like if someone has a problem with alcoholism or whatever the problem may be. And some of these things have shown promise as treatment options for that. And then, but they're illegal, so we can't do anything about it. So that's a problem. Certainly a problem. But from the way that the tides are changing, the, the way that everything is going in these this recent span of time, I think stuff is starting to turn around. I think it these things will start to be legalized. happen. It'll happen. Because at the moment, pe because people are going to take take the stuff, whether it's legal or not. If someone really wants to do it, they're going to find a way. So if we legalize it, that we can set up facilities, set up some structure, because as he says, um, in that line, uh, set and setting. You need to have the right setting when you do these things. You can't just willy-nilly do it. It needs to be prepared. And Zach Leary was very clear about this when I was talking to him in the sh in the in the interview. You can't just decide you're going to do it one day and then go do it. It's something that you need to prepare for. The it's really a journey from what I understand. Um, but you know, if we set up, you know, clinics or some sort of, some sort of place where people can safely do these things with some sort of professional, whether it be a clinician or, uh, or maybe, a, maybe a spiritual leader, could be a, a guru, a yogi, and apparently that's a controversial idea of whether you should be doing those things while you're doing yoga. 
exactly where he believes that you should be able to do it. Some yogis will say, no, you should do it without anything in your system. Another thing with legalizing things is if if you if you legalize everything and not just some of these substances but even the harder drugs the stuff that really really you, no one should be taking like cocaine and heroin the stuff that's like really dangerous the stuff that's that's chemically addictive and can very easily lead to overdoses if you legalize that then you can regulate it you can make sure that it's not being cut with anything harmful like i know that some people put like things like battery acid and stuff like cocaine and also you can tax it so you can get money out of it too so allow people to like, don't do it. <laughs> Definitely don't do it. But if you do do it, do it safely. Because all I want is that people don't die unjustly. Oh, boy. That got real. That got, that got real, folks. That got real heavy. <laughs> Let's check the news, shall we? <laughs> Next segment. <laughs> All right. Let's click on this right here. Okay, I just have to do that. All right, so what's in the news here? Amy Coney Barrett, I think that's how you say her last name. It, it sounds French. Um, yeah, I'm not going to talk about that. Everybody's talking about that. So <laughs> let's find something nobody's talking about. Um... Oh, another thing I was going to mention, I forgot to. Um, the last episode was episode number 66. And here's the thing. Before I did that episode, a while before that, actually, I was going to, <laughs> I was planning on doing an episode number 66 based on Star Wars. I go, Commander Cody, execute order 66. Yes, my lord. Unfortunately, I didn't. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, here's an interesting 
news article. Mike Tyson leaves viewers worried in incoherent interview. <laughs> okay, so I think it's only fair if I do this in a Mike Tyson act, uh, a Mike Tyson impression. So Mike Tyson said tired enough with the reason for a bizarre appearance on Good Morning Britain that left some viewers questioning if he was high on drugs and other and other concern for his well-being. On an endless promotional tour ahead of his return to the ring, Tassin was incoherent and hard to watch the mumbled his way through the interviews with host Piers Morgan and Susanna Reid. I just want to do this. I plan on doing this for a charity in Audible. Tyson began one response, and, and I think I'm capable of doing that, and it's what I want to do. Okay, I'm, I'm tired of doing that. Uh, the 54-year-old has put on his body through a punishing training regime to lose 130 pounds in preparation for an exhibition fight against fellow boxing legend Roy Jones Jr. next month. Just kind of watch the interview. Um, oh, also, did you, just, did you see the clip of him uh, talking about how fighting makes him, arouses him, I'll say? Yeah, that's uh, a side note. <laughs> Let's see. Mike Tyson appeared on Good Morning Britain this morning, and now that UK show airs live from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., which would be 10 p.m. this interview. For his first British television interview since announcing his comeback. Um, very, very good morning Good to morning, you. champ. How are you? Morning. What's happening, guys? Well, it's great to see you. Uh, thanks for staying up so can late, you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Can you hear us okay? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, very loudly. <laughs> Now, Mike, there's a I'll lot of my voice down then. A lot of excitement around the world that you're coming out of retirement. You're going to fight Roy Jones Jr., another great boxing champion. I suppose the first obvious question: Why do you want to do this? I'm, I just want to do this. I plan on doing this for um, a, a charity exponent, and I think I'm capable of doing that. And that's what I want to do. There have been concerns raised about the fact that you are two men in your 50s uh, fighting each other without protective headgear. What, what do you think about those concerns? I think it's very wonderful that we're fighting together. It's a fight that we should have had sooner, but um, unfortunately we're having it now, and that's going to be awesome. You've been friends with Donald Trump for a very long time. Do you think he can win again? Anything's possible, but I think um, people should go to um, the voting booth and everybody should vote. You're able to vote uh, for the first time in quite a long time, aren't you? Does that, is that important to you? Yes, this is true, yes. That, that's, very, that's very important to me. I get to cast my vote and vote for who I want to vote for, and um, that's good. One of the big issues this year, Mike, has been the Black Lives Matter protests around the world particularly, obviously, after the appalling killing of George Floyd. Uh, what, what do you make of the movement, the protests? Uh, do you think it's going to affect real change? 
Hey, they have right the protest. The protest is um is really going far, and we don't know how far it can, it can go, but it's really doing good right now. It just shouldn't lose this momentum. Okay, first I'll say some of the comments because then it explains why Mike had tweets. So Face says he does seem drunk or has some mental issues going on. Yeah, Blasio says this Tyson drunk or on drugs here. Um, Michelle says, dude, he's hammered. It's so sad. And says, is he back on drugs? Yeah, so given all this attention, Mike now tweeted. He says, hey, mate, peers, good morning, Britain, Susanna, and UK. I tried to stay up late for interview, but fell asleep. And like a lion, I'm hard to wake once sleep. Training hard and going to bed early. I had no monitor, so I couldn't see you guys. I forgot to look into the camera. So, Ross, what do you think of that explanation? Uh, I okay um well when i was listening to him rather recently he talked about how he hadn't done he hadn't smoked weed in a while and i know that he had smoked a lot in the past but apparently he stopped because he wants to you know keep a keep a sharp mind for his return to the ring i don't know i don't pay attention to him that much uh <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, how about if I do some impressions for you guys? I'll choose a news story and I'll read it in a random celebrity impression. Ooh. Okay, gotta choose someone. Um. Okay. Oh, Christopher Walken. Whenever he talks, puts the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Peru finally opens Machu Picchu to a single stranded tourist. Or. When you do the voice of John Malkovich, your voice is very slow and deliberate and sometimes a little bit like you're just not taking it very seriously. Like in that red movie where he ate a very, very old moon pie because the dates were different back then. Or another. Um. Um. I'll do one more. Let's do a classic. It's so Arnold. Peru finally opens Machu Picchu to a single stranded tourist. 
a Japanese tourist who's stranded in Peru for almost seven months amid the coronavirus pandemic finally got to visit the, f the famed ruins of Machu Picchu, which was opened for only for him according to reports. Jesse Katayama, 26, was eager to visit the 15th century's Inca Citadel, sitting on a 7,970-foot mountain ridge when he arrived in the Andean country in March. But the deadly bug had other plans, the Guardian reported. He had come to Peru and the dream of being able to enter cultural minister Alejandro Neira said in virtual press conference on Monday, according to the news outlet. The Japanese citizen had entered together with, a, with our head of the park so, they, so that, he, that he could do this before returning to the country. He added over the long-time visitors submitted a special request while hold on the nearby town of Aguas Calientes. <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> okay, I'm quitting podcasting now. <laughs> I am now going to quit podcasting and do what I've always wanted to do. B.I.G. Fuck with me. Oh God. Whoa. Okay, ain't nobody fucking with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my motherfucking click, click. Whoops, wrong kind of click. <laughs> okay. Uh, what else happened? Um, what else happened? Oh, um, little PSA. Just a quick little reminder. Um, don't ride your Lime scooters on the sidewalks. Okay? Don't be one of those people. Be a good... Be a good noodle. Be a good noodle and ride your scooters on the road like a normal person. Like everybody else, okay? On the road. Be safe also. In fact, uh <laughs> let me let me read you the here. Never mind. But uh, also, only one person per line. Don't don't piggyback on there. Don't get any other people. Okay, only you. If someone else wants to go, they gotta get their own scooter. Unless they're small enough to fit in your pocket. 
in that case, I don't think that's really a friend, a human friend. You're talking about a, about a fucking hamster, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, um. oh boy. Um. What else? What else? Um. You know, caution when riding at night. Don't park it in the middle of the sidewalk where it's going to be in the way, especially if you're like a person in a wheelchair. It's going to get in your way real bad. Park it upright. All right. That's all I got to tell you about that. Um, so South Park had a good episode in their last one. It was the pandemic special. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna give away anything, but, you know, Ooh. Mars Opposition 2020, how to see the red planet shine extra bright tonight. It's a beautiful month for Mars watching as the planet camps out opposite the sun on October 13th. October 20th is all about the glory of Mars as the glimmering red planet puts on a show in the night sky. We passed Mars' close, appro close approach to Earth on October 6th, and now we can look forward to Mars being in opposition Tuesday night. Spotting Mars. Mars has a reputation as the red planet, but its color in the night sky is a little more on the Halloween side of the spectrum. It appears as the bright orange-red dot to the naked eye, like a little spot of glittering rust. Mars' distinctive color is one clue you found in the dark. It, you found it in the dark. L look in the eastern sky to catch it rising at night. This is a great time for viewing the planet partly because spotting it is so simple. It should be visible for most of the night, as NASA says. Simply go outside and look up, and depending on your local weather and lighting conditions, you should be able to see Mars. Check out our list of star stargazing apps if you want to extra help with locating the planet. When Mars and the Sun line up with Earth, Earth in the middle, the, pl the red planet is said to be in opposition. This is the perfect time to track Mars' movement across the sky. It will rise in the east and the sun goes down, move across the sky, and then set in the west as the sun comes up. NASA describes opposition as effectively a full Mars. T Tuesday, October 13th, is the time to enjoy the opposition. You'll have to wait over two years for it to happen again. The virtual telescope planet, which, will which brings us live feed feeds of celestial events will stream a Mars opposition viewing starting at 1 p.m. Pacific time on October 13th is a perfect way to enjoy the action without weather worries. For people in the U.S., it will give you a preview of what to look for after sundown. The project expects this to be the best observing conditions since July 2018. So look to the east. 
Taking quality images of the moon with your smartphone can be both rewarding and daunting. But if you have a smartphone and a telescope, you can go from this to this. Let me show you how. First, let's go over things you'll need. A smartphone, a telescope. In this case, I'm using the Celestron StarSense Explorer DX113AZ, some filters, and smartphone telescope mounts. Now the smartphone mounts are key, and I happen to have two different smartphone mounts, but the idea is the same, holding the smartphone against the telescope. This Celestron mount basically attaches to your telescope's eyepiece, and then you place the phone into the carrier. It's sturdy enough to hold the phone, and it does have knobs to move the phone in place, but just keep in mind that the clamps to hold the phone in place aren't very good, so you can have an issue putting too much weight on the telescope and the eyepiece. This mount works a little differently in that it forgoes the eyepiece altogether and just slots right into the eyepiece holder. This one is better for the weight of the phone and the telescope, but you lose the use of the different eyepieces. But honestly, whatever smartphone mount you use, it's up to you and you really can't go wrong. Now second, you're gonna need a telescope filter. Celestial objects, especially the moon, are bright objects that our eyes can adjust to easily, but our phones can't. So to help with that, you can use a variety of filters to see these objects a lot clearer. These filters can cut down on glare, decrease brightness, and also have a color range from red to blue to help increase or decrease certain aspects of the object you're viewing. Now, I'm not gonna get into too much detail of which filter to use, but either way, any of these filters can help you see certain details. For the purposes of this video, I'm gonna use this 13% moon transmission filter because it boosts content. You know what, let's do that to you. All right, here's something I haven't done in a while and I kind of miss it, so I'm gonna do it again. Let me find a different one. Um. All right, fine. Set a curtain, my 
Interesting song. Um, Down in the Willow Garden is the name of it. Old folk song. Uh, best version is by the Everly Brothers. Art Garfunkel also did another one. Um, which is also good. Um, it's a traditional Appalachian murder ballad about a man facing the gallows for the murder of his lover. Uh, he gave her poisoned wine, stabbed her, and threw her in a river. It originates in the 19th century, probably, in Ireland, uh, before becoming established in the United States. The lyrics greatly vary among early versions, but professional recordings have stabilized the song in a cut-down form. First professionally recorded in 1927, it was made popular by Charlie Monroe's in 1947 version, and it has been recorded dozens of times since then. Uh... This, the song may have derived from Irish sources from the early 19th century. Edward Bunting noted a song by the name Rose Connolly in 1811 in Coleraine. And uh, Coleraine is a city uh, in Northern Ireland uh, the near the mouth of the River Ban in County Lo Londonderry. Uh, a version with slightly different lyrics is known from Galway, eight, 1929. And there are Lyrical similarities to W.B. Yeats' 1899 poem, Down by the Sally Gardens, which itself probably derives from the Irish ballad. The Rambling Boys of Pleasure, the first versions of Rose Connolly, probably derive from Irish ballads, The Wexford Girl and The Rambling Boys of Pleasure, or similar songs. The Wexford Girl gave rise to The Knoxville Girl, a very similar murder ballad to Down in the Willow Garden. Unlike other Irish ballads, Down in the Willow Garden was initially restricted to the Appalachian region of the United States, and the D.K. Willages mused that it is as if an Irish local song never popularized on, bro on broadsides was spread by a single Irish peddler on, the travel on his travels through Appalachia. It is first noted by the United States in 1915 when it was referred to as popular in 1895 in Wetzel County, West Virginia, Cecil Sharp came across the song in 1918 in Virginia and North Carolina. And, uh, you know, I didn't really mention that, but uh, it's also believed that it could be f partly from a true story of uh, a guy that murdered his lover, presumably named Rose Connolly. 
fuck. Let's look for the the ballad Rose Connolly. Um. Okay, looks like all the recordings that say Rose Connolly are just in are just the same song as I just played and sang with. Not a very happy song, if I may add. Pretty sad, if I must say so myself. Um... Kind of reminds me of uh, an A. Hellisman poem, The Culprit. Uh, here it is. So A. E. Hellisman was a poet. He wrote this poem called The, uh, the, Cul the Culprit, and uh, it goes... The night my father got me, his mind was not on me. He did not plague his fancy, to muse if I should be, the son you see. The day my mother bore me, she was a fool and glad, for all the pain I cost her, that she had borne the lad, that born she had. My mother and my father, out of the light they lie, the warrant would not find them, and here tis only I, shall hang so high. Oh, let not man remember the soul that God forgot, but fetch the county kerchief and noose me in the knot, and I will rot. For so the game is ended that should not have begun, my father and my mother, they had a likely son, and I have none. And it was put into a choral version of the song where uh, it's those same lyrics basically except you know yeah, you have different parts singing different vocal parts singing different parts of the lyrics uh, very interesting song, song I'm not going to sing it at least not today maybe maybe in the future I will we'll see yeah That was my poetry corner. Um, more poetry to come other weeks. But I think that'll be that'll do for today. For poetry. In fact, that'll do for the show. Because I don't know what to tell you. But I'm out. I'm empty. Running on empty. Wasting away, Margaritaville. <laughs> okay. Okay, so that's the show for today, guys. I'm your host, Chris Wright, signing out from Point Counterpoint from KUST, University of St. Thomas, Campus Radio. It's been Lit Fam. Namaste.